Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Thursday, April the 28th, 2022, and this show will be rebroadcast on Monday, May the 2nd, 2022. From 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 106th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness with your host, Pedro Gatos. Tonight on Bringing Light into Darkness, we continue to bring to light objective and empirical contradictions within the mainstream narrative regarding the Ukraine-Russia crisis. Our focus tonight includes the esteemed international legal expert, Alfred Desaius, addressing the international legality issues around the Crimean referendum of March 2014. We also correct a gross misrepresentation that the Russians invaded Crimea by identifying an existing treaty that allowed Russia to have up to 15,000 troops in the Crimea since 1991. And finally, we conclude the show with an update by investigative reporter and contributor Mike Whitney on yet additional misrepresentations around the Minsk Protocol and other issues essential to being able to decipher propaganda from real empirical understandings. Enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. Today is Thursday, April the 28th, 2022. This show will be broadcast on Monday, May 2nd, 2022. We are blessed to have returning to bringing light into darkness. Mr. Alfred Desaius, a Cuban-born American lawyer, writer. He's active in the field of human rights and international law. He actually had a very impressive stint with the United Nations as an independent expert on the promotion of a democratic and equitable international order from 2012 to 2018. And so before formally welcoming you to the show, Mr. Desaius, let me just do a short historical and contextual introduction of what I would like to set the stage with. On March 16th, 2014, there was a referendum in Crimea. And when we consider the legality or illegality of a referendum, a number of considerations, I believe, should be considered in that discussion. First and foremost is really the control of information, which creates the information made available and the information not made available to the American public. And by doing so, creates unconscious biases within the collective U.S. public consciousness in trying to understand the Ukraine 
Russia conflict and from which they make determinations as to whether this was a fair or unfair referendum and really, for that matter, their perception of the February 2014 coup itself that arguably precipitated the March 2014 Crimean referendum just some six weeks later. And some information that is in contradiction to the dominant narrative that we have been subjected to in this country is just completely left out of the discourse altogether. It should be acknowledged that the final date and ballot choices with the Crimean referendum, that it was only 10 days before the plebiscite itself. However, what seems to be left out in this whole narrative is the fact that there was this very violent coup in 2014 of February supported by the United States. And the plebiscite was proclaimed on the Crimean Peninsula, but was pejoratively presented to the American public as this was a location in which there had been a huge number of Russian soldiers who managed to oversee the public buildings in the Ukraine military installations. And I wanted to just take a quick step back before having you comment and suggest that Yanukovych, the president that won the election in the Ukraine on July 10th, 2010, there was polling that was done by Robert Schuman. And it's very important because it reveals the political and voting tendencies of the populations in a very polarized Ukraine country. And Viktor Yanukovych easily won the east and the south of the Ukraine, with peaks of popularity in the regions of Donetsk, where he received over 90% of the vote, in the Lugansk, where he received 88.8%, according to the polling, and in the autonomous region of the Crimea that we want to focus with 78.3%. And we were told that Russia is the aggressor based on these Russian troop numbers that were based in the Crimea. But I think it's important that what is left out of the discussion is that in 1997, amidst the wreckage of the USSR and Russia and Ukraine, they signed a partition treaty that determined the fate of the military bases and vessels in the Crimea. And this naval presence in the Crimea dates back to 1783 in Sevastopol by Russia. And the treaty, it actually sparked defections to Russia by many officers of the Ukrainian army, but it was ultimately ratified by the Russian and Ukrainian parliaments in 1999. And I think this is important because the narrative was that there was this Russian invasion of Crimea. However, the treaty itself allowed Russia's Navy up to 25,000 troops in the Crimea, and it included artillery systems and a certain number of armored vehicles and a certain number of military planes. But most importantly, the 1997 partition treaty allowed the Russian Black Sea fleet to stay in Crimea until 2017. And then that was extended another 25 years, 2042. Anyhow, with that background, I wanted to go back and ask you, Mr. Dezaeus, this self-rule referendum that was completed, not just in the Crimean area, but also were in the eastern areas of Donetsk and Lugansk. Overwhelmingly, the vote was over 90% and 80% respectively to divorce themselves from a government that had just had this recent coup and the repression that ensued afterwards. And many people say it was not legal, the referendum, 
based on an international law interpretation, which suggests based on a legal interpretation of the Ukraine constitution, the whole Ukrainian population should vote on a referendum. But these people fail to see that that very constitution was set aside in the coup itself, and that this was a result and a response to that coup. So the main history I wanted to speak to seems to start at the coup itself, but that's never included in the narrative. But with that introduction, I just wanted to set the stage and ask you to describe the circumstances around the referendum of March of 2014 in the Crimea and its legality or international illegality and pertinent considerations that you feel are important in that determination. And again, welcome to bringing light into darkness, friend. Thank you, Pedro. Now, before I start, let me tell your listeners that back in 1994, I was the representative of the Secretary General for the elections in the Ukraine, and I pretty much crisscrossed the country. I was there twice in March 94 for the parliamentary elections and in June 94 for the presidential elections. And I got a very good impression of what the demographics of the country are and how the identification of the population, whether they identify as Russians or as Ukrainians. In any event, the fact is that Crimea had no historical or ethnic link to Ukraine. It was initially, of course, back in the times of Genghis Khan and the Golden Horde, I mean, they were a Canaanite, and shall we say original population of Crimea was Greek. And after the Greeks, you know, came the Turkish peoples. And in the 18th century, you have uh, the Russians occupying and, uh, shall we say, civilizing the Crimean Peninsula. Now, my experience visiting the polling stations in Simferopol and Yalta, etc., is that uh, the population was overwhelmingly Russian and very consciously Russian. The same goes for the populations in Donetsk and in uh, Lugansk. The war that we have seen over the last three months in Ukraine, this war really did not start on the 24th of February, 2022, but as you already indicated, it started with an illegal, unconstitutional coup d'etat against the democratically elected president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych. And that was the 22nd of February, 2014. Since the illegal parliament that ensued, this, shall we say, coup parliament that had no constitutional legitimacy, started adopting Russian phobic legislation against Ukrainians of Russian descent, Russian origin and Russian mother tongue, prohibiting the use of the Russian language, among other things, etc. That alerted the people of uh, Crimea and the people of Donbass, and they said, look, we do not recognize the illegal regime in Kiev. We consider the illegal regime in Kiev not representative of the Ukrainian people. We consider it to be, shall we say, in the service of the 
Europeans and the Americans, etc., but not in the service of the Ukrainian people. And therefore, we want to split. In international law, the practice of holding plebiscites is very, very old. It goes centuries back. And uh, the United Nations itself has held referenda, self-determination referenda in many countries, including Sudan, which resulted in the separation of North Sudan from Southern Sudan, in Ethiopia, Eritrea, in um, uh, East Timor, uh, that allowed its separation from Indonesia, etc. Here, the United Nations failed the Ukrainians and failed the Russians because at the time of the implosion of the Soviet Union in 1991, when Ukraine uh, unilaterally split from the Soviet Union, by the way, not observing the constitution of the Soviet Union. So, I mean, they essentially exercised self-determination by splitting from the Soviet Union and destroying the territorial integrity of the Soviet Union. But again, they did so by declaration. And at that moment, the United Nations should have stepped in and said, yes, we recognize the right of all people to self-determination. That means the right of the Estonians, Latvians, and Lithuanians, and Kazakhstanis to split from the Soviet Union if that is what they want, the same as the right of the Slovenians and the Croatians and the Bosnians, etc., to split from Yugoslavia, if that is what they want. But as long as it happens without violence, as long as it happens peacefully, the United Nations here in 1991 should have offered its good offices in order to organize referenda and monitor those referenda say, in the Donbass region, which is purely German, I mean Russian, and in Crimea. Now, what happened on the 14th of March 2014 is that the Crimeans, who are very Russian, decided by a referendum that they would separate from the Ukraine. That is legitimate in international law. The right of self-determination of all people is enshrined in Articles 1 and 55 of the UN Charter. It is specifically enshrined in Article 1 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and International Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, which stipulates in uh, Paragraph 1 of Article 1 that all peoples have the right of self-determination, that meaning the Ukrainians, the Slovenians, the Estonians, the Latvians, but also the peoples of Donetsk and Lugansk and Crimea, the peoples of Abkhazia and uh, South Ossetia, the peoples of Nagorno-Karabakh, etc., etc. Now, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which is pretty universal, I mean, it's 167 countries that are states' parties, including the United States, and Ukraine, and Russia, etc., etc., does not limit the exercise of self-determination to peoples living under military occupation, like the Palestinians, or does not limit it to non-self-governing territories, say Guam or Puerto Rico, does not limit it to the former colonies, 
but it's actually an open-ended right. The key thing is that it should be carried out peacefully. The referendum in uh, Crimea was carried out peacefully. That was followed by a declaration of independence issued by the competent body, meaning the democratically elected parliament of Crimea. So that should have been immediately recognized by the international community, the same as the international community accepted the unilateral declarations of independence of Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania and Slovenia and uh, Croatia and Montenegro, et cetera, et cetera. So that being said, Mr. Zayas, let me just remind folks that we are visiting with the esteemed lawyer and United Nations independent expert on promotion of democratic and equitable international order from 2012 to 2018. That would be Alfred Desaius. And I also wanted to frame this referendum, not just in response to a coup, but as you alluded to, or I should allude to, an incredible repression that followed, most notably in Odessa, in which dozens of people were burned alive in the- I believe the figure is 50 people. Yeah, 40 to 50 or so, right. And, and like you indicated, one of the first actions that the new parliament took, the illegal parliament took post-coup, was to try to make the Russian language illegal. They actually referred to Russian-speaking people in very demeaning ways as second-class citizenry. And so, so this was done also not just because of the coup, but because of the repression that followed. And as we've already indicated, over 80% of the populations in these areas had voted for the very president that was deposed. But please continue, uh, Mr. Desire. Well, as I said, the United Nations should have played a role in 1991 in overseeing referenda in the Donbass and in Crimea. The United Nations didn't do so. But what is problematic is the mainstream narrative that gives you the impression that Russia has invaded and Russia has annexed these territories. Now, that is a legal misnomer. Annexation means that country A invades country B against the will of the population concern without any rule of law, without any due process, and unilaterally annexes the territory. Usually that kind of occupation is a military occupation with armed conflict and lots of deaths. What happened in Crimea was entirely peaceful and entirely legal and backed up by international law namely the UN Charter and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Right. And I am dismayed to see how sold out lawyers are in the United States and in some countries in the West who fail to understand that international law is universal and it is not a la carte. You cannot say the Kosovars have a right of self-determination, but the people of Crimea do not. As a matter of fact, I think that the claim of the Crimeans to independence uh, from Ukraine is stronger than the claim of the Kosovars for secession from Serbia. But putting that aside, the main thing is that we get in the mainstream media repeated ad nauseum that Russia committed a violation of international law 
and that this was an illegal annexation. It was not. It went through all the necessary steps under international rule of law, meaning first a referendum, then a declaration by the competent parliament, then a request to Russia for reincorporation into Russia. Remember that Crimea belonged to the Russian Republic until it was unilaterally, administratively transferred by Khrushchev from the Russian Republic to the Ukrainian Republic. That, of course, had no importance whatever in the 1950s because everything in the Soviet Union was decided in Moscow, not in Kiev. So that for the Crimeans, when they were transferred to Ukraine, they had no need to go out on the streets and to protest because, you know, that would violate, you know, the right of self-determination. It didn't make a difference. It only made a difference when Ukraine separated itself from the Soviet Union. And the same way as the Ukraine could separate itself from the Soviet Union, Crimea could and did separate itself from Ukraine. Mr. Desaius, can you also back up just a little bit and make some some legal conclusions and overviews of the treaty that I referred to at the beginning of the show that allowed Russia to maintain its military presence under treaty contractual agreements that were not... That was a sine qua non arrangement because since 1991 when Ukraine separated from the Soviet Union, it is quite clear that Russia, also the uh, legal successor of the Soviet Union, would not give up its main military and naval base in the Black Sea. So that was properly anchored in a treaty that allowed Russia to keep troops in Crimea. So it's not like Russia suddenly brought in thousands of troops into Crimea in order to oppress the Crimean population and in order to annex Crimea into Russia. No, the the soldiers were there and they were there legally and they did not engage in any kind of offensive activities against the population of Crimea. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the soldiers, like the police, ensured law and order. And indeed, that was an exemplary exercise of self-determination since the referendum and the Declaration of Independence all occurred in a peaceful manner consistent with the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. What is missing, and that is offensive, I see for me as a lawyer, that whereas the European Union and most European states are immediately rushed to recognize the independence of Slovenia from Yugoslavia, the independence of Croatia from Yugoslavia, when it came to uh, Crimea and the Donbass, they started saying that's illegal. Well, it isn't. And we have the advisory opinion of the International Court of Justice in the case of Kosovo's secession from Yugoslavia, And if you read paragraph 80 of that advisory opinion, you will see that the International Court of Justice gave priority of the right of self-determination of peoples over the principle of territorial integrity. 
So that territorial integrity is not sacrosanct. Mm -hmm. In a situation where you have to choose between self-determination, and especially in a case as clear as Crimea, that didn't even have any historical or ethnic links uh, with Ukraine. In a case like that, of course it was legal. And if most lawyers were objective, if most lawyers uh, were not partisan, if they were not simply echoing the nonsense that you hear from uh, the White House, they would have said, of course, by the same token that all of these other countries have become independent, the people of Crimea have the same right. And we cannot deny that right without committing discrimination, without being incoherent, without going against the progressive development of international law. Mr. Desais, before you address the issue of sanctions, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. We'll be back with our guest, the esteemed international law expert, Alfred Desaius, right after this. Don't touch that dial. 